Welcome back to our series, I've Got Questions. Jesus, I've Got a Question. And uh, I want to launch out today with a couple of numbers that I'm going to put on the screen here. So here's the first number we'll throw up there, 63%. This number represents the number of people in America that identify themselves as Christian, 63%. Second number on on here is a bigger number, uh, 380,000. That that is the number of churches in America. 380,000 churches across the United States. It's a lot of churches. Would you agree with that? Uh, Here's an even bigger number. Check this one out. 56 million people. That's how many people will attend a church sometime during the year. 56 million people. So think about it. You know, right now we're gathered together. We're worshiping together. Uh, we're doing that roughly about the same time. People across the country that are doing the same thing, which is kind of a cool idea to think about that number of people worshiping God together. And I think you could probably take all those numbers and, and conclude that, you know, America is, is a religious Nation, We are a religious people. Would you agree with that? You could probably look at those numbers and say, America is a religious nation. Here's the question. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Don't answer it yet, all right? Because what we're going to talk about is this question. Jesus, is being religious good enough? You say, well, good enough for what? Well, is being religious good enough to please God? Is, is being religious good enough to be right with God? Is being religious good enough to get me to heaven? That's what we're going to talk about today. All right, get your Bible out. It's what we do. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, hey, there's one in the seat back in front of you. Take it as our gift. We want everybody to have an open Bible uh, to read through. We want you to have a Bible that won't send you notifications, okay? Uh, one that's not going to have your ESPN score pop up. All right, we'd like to have that in front of you. Amen? All right, so open Bible, uh, John chapter 3 is where we're going to be today, John chapter 3. We're going to see what happens when a theology professor uh, faces off against Jesus on this question, uh, how am I right with God? Is being religious good enough? Let's look at it. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. Uh, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, uh, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Now stop right there for just a minute. Uh, Underline the name Nicodemus. This is an important guy. And by the way, Nicodemus does appear in other places in the scripture, but this is where we learn the most about Nicodemus is this incredible conversation that Jesus is going to have with him. So a couple of things we learn about Nicodemus right off the bat. One is that Nicodemus is a spiritual person. He's a spiritual person. He's a Jew and he's a devout Jew. In fact, uh, as a devout Jew, the first words that he would have ever heard spoken in his ears while he still laid on his mother's uh, chest would be the words of the Torah as he heard them as a child. 
When he, would, when he was five years old, he went to a school where he learned, basically like our primary school where, where you learned uh, reading and writing and arithmetic. But of course, all that was through the Torah and he would start to memorize large sections of the Torah. By the age 10, he would be able to recite the first five books of the Old Testament verbatim from memory. Around age 10 to age 12, he would have gone into his secondary school where he would have learned the uh, law, the, 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 the religious law, but also the oral traditions of the rabbis. And he would have studied that and become very proficient in the oral and written laws. And then probably around 15, 16 years old, because he was now top of the class, because he had really shown a lot of uh, academic um, uh, capacity, that he would have been selected to follow a rabbi. And probably for about 15 years, he followed a rabbi to be in strict rabbinic training to become a rabbi. So this is equivalent to a PhD today. So this guy knew his Bible. <laughs> this guy was incredibly spiritual person. I mean, uh, this is Nicodemus. He was a spiritual person. Second thing we learn about him is that he was a very, he was a religious leader. Notice it says that he was a Pharisee. These Pharisees were a sect of Judaism uh, and, the, and religious, they, they were religious leaders that really held to a high view of Scripture so they believed the Bible to be true and also a high view of morality and personal moral purity. Uh, so they really came into power when uh, Judaism was sliding down into all kinds of moral problems and they were calling people back to obey the word of God and to live their lives according to it. So this guy would have been a, uh, a guy that knew the word, but also one that advocated a high moral purity, uh, moral piety. Uh, you, you could say he was a religious professional. <laughs> you could say he was varsity when it came uh, to religious things, Okay. The third thing we learn about Nicodemus is that he was a powerful judge. Notice it says there that he was a ruler. Verse 1, he was a ruler of uh, the Jews. That's a reference to the fact that he was on the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was made up of 71 Jewish leaders, Jewish rulers that ruled the nation. So if you could take all of Congress and the Supreme Court and roll them all together, that would have been the Sanhedrin. All right? It was a powerful, politically powerful, uh, government, uh, governmental powerful position, uh, a religious powerful position, all this was rolled into one. And he was of those top 71 men, 71 rulers and leaders. So all that to say that what we know about this guy is that he was a big deal, okay? Uh, Nicodemus was a big deal. If you could stack all of his religious accomplishments on one side, uh, there wouldn't be anybody in this room that would be able to equal him or outdo him. He knew more uh, than you know. He practiced more uh, devoutly than you have. Uh, he prayed more. He gave more. He served more. He, he taught more than any of us uh, could have possibly uh, measure. And so this guy was the poster child. If you're looking for somebody religious, okay, Nicodemus is the poster child for a religious person. He had accomplished as much as you could possibly accomplish in the area of being religious. And he comes to Jesus at night 
Now, we're not really sure why he came at night. He may have come at night because he had a reputation to protect. He didn't want people to see him talking to Jesus. That could be true. Uh, he may have come because he knew that at night he had more extended time with Jesus. The crowds were constantly around Jesus during the day. So this was his opportunity to get Jesus to himself. Whatever the motive that he had, he comes at night and he has questions. And he comes to Jesus and he starts off very respectfully. Look at it. He says, Rabbi, uh, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can perform these signs you do unless God is with him. In other words, he said, Jesus, you know, there's something different about you. Nicodemus had taught for years about miracles. Jesus was doing miracles. And he was like, what is that about? What's different about you? What's going on here? And so he approaches Jesus from that standpoint, and Jesus is about to rock Nicodemus's world, all right? He's about to rock his world. And let me just uh, step back and say this. Uh, Jesus may be about to rock your world. Welcome to First Colleyville. He may be able, he's, a, he's about to rattle uh, some of your cages a little bit. In fact, you may feel some pushback in just a minute. Just know that that's natural Nicodemus pushback too. But what Nicodemus need to hear is what you need to hear and what I need to hear today. And basically what he's going to tell Nicodemus is this. It's not good enough to be religious. No matter how religious you are, religion in itself is not good enough enough. And he's going to give Nicodemus three reasons why being religious is not good enough. And so I want you to jot these down, okay? I'm going to give them to you right now. Number one, jot this down. Uh, hopefully you got something to take notes on. Jot this down. Number one, only the Spirit can change you. It's not good. Being religious is not good enough because only the Spirit can change you. Look at verse three. Jesus replied, truly, truly, I tell you, unless uh, someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him, can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? And Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh and whatever is born of spirit is spirit. Now, right off the bat, here's what Jesus is saying. Nicodemus, what you're missing is the new birth. That's what you're missing. You're religious. You've just never been born again. This term born again is a spiritual term. We get this from Jesus. Uh, it's not really a term that's used a lot in the secular world, even though I, I recently heard in the, in the Olympic Games that there was one a skier from America that had this terrible car accident. And in a report, he said that coming out of that accident, it was like he was reborn. That's kind of a similar idea here, to be born again, to start over, to start anew, to start afresh. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, that's what you're missing. You've got to be born again. And Nicodemus like, I, I don't even understand that. What do you even mean? I mean, obviously a, a grown man can't climb back into his mother's womb and be reborn. That would be painful and awkward. You know, and how, how does that even work? What are you talking about, Jesus? And, and, he, and he's like, oh, no, no, no. Okay. Listen, Nicodemus, I, I, I'm using terms here that you need to understand. He's talking about physical birth and a spiritual birth. You have to have both. You have to be born physically, but then you also have to be born spiritually. 
look at what he says here. Nicodemus is going, how is this possible? And uh, look at verse four. Uh, truly I tell, or verse five, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, what does that mean? A lot of people have debated this. What, is, what, what does water mean there? Some people translate that to mean baptism. Unless you're baptized uh, and born again, you cannot uh, enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, I don't think he mentioned, he's referencing baptism. There's no reference anywhere else in this conversation about baptism. And this uh, predates what would be a, under our understanding of a Christian baptism. So what does he mean there, water in the spirit? Well, let me ask you something. When a baby is about to be born, what's the first thing that breaks? Uh, yeah, uh, the water breaks, right? I've been there for both the birth of my two daughters. Uh, I saw that happen. Uh, the water breaks. When the amniotic fluid flows, it's called the water breaking. And I think he means here you've got to be born physically and you have to be born spiritually. You say, well, Craig, is that really what he means? Well, I think the next verse shows you. The next verse, he says, what is born of flesh is flesh. What is born of spirit is spirit. Yeah, you have to have a physical birth. You have a birthday. You, somebody gives you a birthday cake and a birthday card. You know you have a birthday physically, but where is your spiritual birthday? Have you been born spiritually? Is there a new work in your life spiritually? You say, what do you mean to be born again spiritually? It is that moment in time when you come into God's family. It's that moment in time when you are aware of your sin and you confess your need for Christ and you call out to him. It's that moment when you go from darkness to light, when you go from death to life, when you go from being an enemy of God to a friend of God. It is that moment that Jesus was referring to. And he said, Nicodemus, the problem is you're very religious, but you've never been born again. Nicodemus, you're holding on to your religious practice, but you've never had a change on the inside of you. And only this is something that the Holy Spirit can do. And of course, Nicodemus is wrestling with this. He has a hard time with this. And I think Jesus could tell, look at verse seven. He said, do not be amazed when I told you you must be born again. I mean, it's almost like he could see the wheels turning in his mind. Like, what are you talking about? And he said, don't be amazed at this. Verse eight, the wind blows where it pleases and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Now, who is this spirit that he's talking about here? This is the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of God. This is the third person of the Trinity, the third person of the Godhead. This is God, uh, the Spirit. And uh, this is the work that the Holy Spirit does, is brings us to a point of, of being born again. This is the work of uh, the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life, uh, the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a power. It's not like Star Wars, the force be with you. Uh, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a he. When Jesus speaks about the Holy Spirit in John 16, he always uses the personal pronoun he. He will do this when he comes, when he comes, he will do this, he will do that. So he's a third person of the Trinity and his role is to bring you to life spiritually and to mature you in your walk with God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And he said, it's almost like the wind. Jesus uses this term wind. Any of you all been in a heavy wind before? Hey, listen, man, I, I, I grew up in West Texas and then I, I uh, lived in Oklahoma. Anybody been, know what the wind is like up there? And then I got my doctorate degree from Chicago, which is the what? 
the windy city, right? I, I'm very familiar with wind. Here's what I know about wind. I cannot see the wind and I cannot control the wind, but I can see what the wind does, right? You can see the wind do some crazy things. You can see the wind strip off shingles right off a rooftop. I can see a wind roll a car over. I can see a wind do powerful things. And what he's saying is this, is that the Holy Spirit, when he comes to you and brings you into the new birth, you cannot see him and you cannot control him, but you can see the evidence of his impact and his work. You may be thinking to yourself, well, what is it that exactly that the Holy Spirit does to bring me into this new birth, to cause me to be born again? And I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Because I've got some things to share with you, all right? So I'm going to give these to you really fast. They're in the notes. If you go to the app, go to sermon notes, you can get all the detail. I'm going to hit this really fast. It's not on the screen. So if you're going to try, I dare you to keep up with me with your pen and your paper, all right? Here's, I'm going to give you five things the Holy Spirit does that we can see that shows that he is bringing us into the new birth. Here's number one, he convicts you of your sin. John 16, 8, Jesus said, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit Spirit begins to bring conviction of your sin. What you used to do and it didn't bother you, now all of a sudden it bothers you. And you're aware that that's wrong and you're aware that that offends God and you feel a sense of grief and remorse because of your sinfulness. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. I can see it. In fact, every Sunday, I may be preaching my heart out here and one person on one side of the aisle is like under conviction, sweating bullets, man. They're just, the Holy Spirit's working on them. The other guy's like checking his watch, you know, dozing off. He's not working on this one. He is working on this one. I can see it through conviction. That's one of his works. Here's the second one. Uh, he leads you into truth. He reveals who Jesus is. Jesus said in John 16, 13, he will guide you into all truth. So all of a sudden, like, you start to get it. All of a sudden, it makes sense. All of a sudden, you're, you're connecting the dots, and you can understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. You would not understand it unless he had opened your eyes to understand it. Number three, he brings new, you new life. He brings you new life. Uh, Titus 3 verse 5, he saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Regeneration means to bring to life. And so one of the holy things the Holy Spirit does is you were spiritually dead and he brings you into spiritual life. It's not something that you do, it's something the Holy Spirit does. Here's another one, number four, he adopts you into God's family, Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. So he adopts you into God's family. You are far from God, now you're close to God. You're estranged from God, and now you're a child of God. That's a great place for an amen, by the way. Uh, here's, you want me, to, I got one more. Y'all want one more? All right, one more. He seals you forever as God's child. I love that one. He seals you forever as God's child. Ephesians 1.13, in him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. So when you hear the word of God and, you, and he gives you faith to believe in, in Christ and you believe in the Lord Jesus, you are stamped, sealed, 
forever mine, forever confirmed, forever adopted as my son and my daughter. Now listen, that's all the work of the Holy Spirit in bringing you into this new birth. Religion can't do that for you. You can be incredibly religious and never be changed on the inside. You can go to church every Sunday and on Wednesdays and still not have the Holy Spirit within you. Right? That was Nicodemus's problem. He was incredibly religious. He memorized scripture. He prayed all the right prayers. He did all the right rituals. He went through all the, all the right ceremonies. And yet he still was not born again. Listen, the sad reality is there, there are hundreds, thousands maybe, maybe more people that go into churches every Sunday, very religious, that are not born again that are spiritually lost, trusting in their denominational affiliation, trusting in their religious ritual. Hey, well, I was sprinkled, or I was confirmed, or I went through this, or I was baptized here, or my dad was a circuit rider, my grandfather was a circuit rider, my mother uh, was this, or whatever the case may be. My friends, that is not good enough to get you to heaven. I remember sitting in an IHOP talking with a young man and I was sharing the gospel with him. And at one point I was talking about conviction. He said, well, what did that look like in your life? And I said, well, I just remember being overwhelmed with a sense of my own sin and that I needed Jesus. And I felt badly because of my sin and that that put him on the cross and I wanted forgiveness. And we went on, finished out the breakfast and left. And I, as I was driving away, I got a phone call and I picked up the phone and it was him on the other line. I just left him. And I was on, I'm in my truck on the way back. And he said, you, you know that conviction that you talked about? I said, yeah. He said, I think I'm feeling it right now. I said, well, pull over. And so, so he pulls over. I said, okay, put your truck in park. Are oh, you got it parked? Yeah, I got it parked. I said, okay, let's pray together. And on, that, on the phone, he asked Christ to come into his life. Now listen, only the Holy Spirit can do that. No, no number of times in church, no many rituals, no, many, uh, no, no ceremony could do that. No ritual can do that for you. Only the work and the power of the Spirit of God can change you on the inside. And he said, Nicodemus, you're great on the outside, but you've never been changed on the inside. Have you been changed on the inside? Can you point to a, a day of your spiritual birthday when you were born again? Uh, number two reason why uh, religion cannot save you, why religion is not enough. Number one, uh, only the Spirit can change you. Here's number two, only Jesus came down for you. Look at verse 19, or verse nine, verse nine. How can these things be? Nicodemus said. <laughs> He's kind of pushing back. What are you talking about? How can these things be? Look at what Jesus says. Uh, you are a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied, truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. Stop right there. Nicodemus is pushing back because Jesus is basically dismantling everything he's holding on to for his salvation. He's holding on to all these religious things that he's done. He's like, it's not, Nicodemus is not good enough. You gotta be born again. And then, it, then Jesus leans in and says, you don't believe what I'm saying? 
You don't believe what we know and what we are saying? By the way, who is that we there? This is the testimony of God. This is triune language here. What we know to be true, we're passing on to you, and you, a teacher of Israel, will not receive this? You know what? You may feel like you're pushing back right now. Well, Craig, I mean, what are you talking about? You know, don't, don't be saying that I'm not saved because uh, I'm trusting in this or that or the other of my religious past. Listen, my job is not to cause you to question your salvation. But you know what? I would rather you question your salvation now than after you die. And if there's a question in your mind, you need to settle it now, not later. Jesus said, uh, verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the son of man. Underline the word son of man there. That's a very important term. This would have peaked Nicodemus's uh, interest. This actually is a title that comes from the book of Daniel uh, and, it's, and it's code for the Messiah. The Son of Man equals Messiah. The Son of Man is another name for the promised one, the Messiah. In fact, much later, if I could have time and I don't have time because I always run long and, and I don't mean to, but if I could take you and flip over to your Bible all the way when Jesus is under his trial, which by the way, I'm way outside of my notes right now. If I could uh, take you to where Jesus is under trial and they're beating him, they're saying, tell us if you're the one and he said you will see the son of man coming on the clouds of glory he's quoting Daniel he's talking about the son of man and Nicodemus was there now think about that he heard Jesus say son of man in this private conversation he's saying Nicodemus I am the Messiah I am the Christ the one that you've been looking for the one you've been teaching about, the one you've been preaching about, the one the whole nation has been longing for. I am he, Nicodemus, I outrank you. And you don't believe me? Listen, if you're pushing back against Jesus right now, you're pushing back against the very one that you're going to stand and give an account to. Jesus speaks in language of ascending and descending. This really is a, a description of two ways that people think you can get to heaven. One is an ascending strategy, and that's what religion is. It's, a, it's an ascent strategy where if I do all these things, then maybe one day I will do enough good things that God will accept me into heaven. I did this, I did this, I went to church, I, I served in seventh grade boys. That's got to get me way up, you know, right? I, I gave money, you know, I, I went to church on Wednesday night. I mean, that's got to really bump me up there. I did all these things and, and surely all these, this record, well, I was, I, I was sprinkled or I was uh, baptized or I was, you know, whatever the, the ritual may be. I've done all these things, God, so therefore I'm ascending now into heaven. You know how many people are saved in the ascent strategy? Let me just let Jesus tell you. Look at verse 13. Uh, the very first uh, words there, no one, no one. If you're trusting in your religion, your denominational affiliation, any rituals that you've accomplished to be saved, no one is saved in that strategy. But he also said, uh, 
there's not a, a sin strategy, but there's also a decent strategy, and that is the gospel. That when we could not get to God, that God came to us in the person of Jesus. That Jesus came to us. He descended down to us. Every Christmas, we talk about Emmanuel, God with us. But think about what that cost Jesus. There he was existing in heavenly glory, enjoying the worship of angels from all eternity, one with the Father and with the Spirit. And then he chose to set that aside, his glory aside, and come in the form of a human being and to suffer on a cross for you. See, only Jesus has done that. That's why religion can't get you there because only Jesus came to us. The ascent strategy won't work. It has to be God coming to us and only Jesus has done that. You can't get to God. God came to us in Christ. Amen? Let me give you the third reason why religion won't be good enough as our time uh, comes to a close. Number three, only looking to Jesus can rescue you. Only the Spirit can change you. Only Christ came down for you. Here's the third one. Only looking to Jesus can save you. Look at verse 14. Jesus launches into a story that Nicodemus would know very well. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Underline that. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He goes into this story that Nicodemus would have taught hundreds of times. The Israelites are in the wilderness wandering and they're griping and complaining. We hate this manna. We hate this weather. We hate this sand. We want to go back. We don't like Moses. God, we don't like you. We don't like anybody. And they're just griping and complaining. It's like the kids in the back seat, right, on a long trip. And, and finally you say, all right, I'm pulling this car over. It's time for some good Old Testament judgment. And so God sends fiery serpents into the camp. And they're biting these people. And these people are dying because of the poison in these serpents. They start crying out to God, God have mercy. And Moses cries out to God, God have mercy. And God tells Moses, I want you to take a bronze and, and fashion it into a serpent and put it on a stick and hold that thing up. And those who look to that serpent will be saved. Will be saved. It's interesting that the symbol of medicine today is a serpent on a stick. Listen, I don't think that Moses just put it out in front of his tent and took a nap and just said, okay, y'all look at it. I don't think he did that. I think out of compassion, I think Moses, this is not in the Bible, by the way, this is Craig's interpretation, all right? I, I need to clearly differentiate those two things. But I think what Moses did was pick up the, the pole and ran through the camp and said, look at it. Look, just look at it. Look at it and be saved. Look at it and be saved. Look at it and be saved. And then Jesus turns to Nicodemus and he says, this story is about me. How many times, Nicodemus, have you taught this story and missed it? It's about me. I will be lifted up on a cross. And whoever looks to me in saving faith Anyone who does that, who believes in me, will be saved. 
truth of the matter is, you and I are snake bit. We're snake bit and the poison of sin is coursing through our veins. Every single one of us have sinned against God. Every single one of us are condemned before God because of our sin. Every single one of us cannot do anything about that. Every single one of us, though we try to be religious and try to be religious to try to somehow uh, try to erase our, our sin cannot be erased. The only way you can be saved is to look to Jesus. And he said, God so loved you that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He sent Jesus to us to save us. So is religion good enough? No. Is Jesus good enough? Yes. That's the question. Which one are you holding on to? Your religious practice? Or have you been born again? Why don't you bow your heads with me for just a minute. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to settle that once and for all. If you're holding on to your religious practice, if you're holding on to, well, I was baptized in this way or I was confirmed in this way or I grew up in this church or I grew up doing these things, if that's your hope of eternity, then my friends, it is not good enough. But right now you can call on the name of the Lord. The Bible says he who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can look to Jesus. If you're here holding on to religious practice, look to Jesus. If you're here and you feel like you're not good enough, look to Jesus. If you're here and you feel like you, you could never be forgiven for the things that you've done wrong, look to Jesus. If you're here and you think, well, I'll do that some other day, now is the time to look to Jesus. So I'm gonna say a simple prayer of faith, calling on Jesus. If you say, Pastor, that's what I want. Right now, the Holy Spirit's convicting you. Right now, the Holy Spirit is drawing you. Right now, you feel the conviction in your life that you need Christ in your life right now. I'm gonna ask you, just with everybody's head bowed, nobody looking around, just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me right now. Lift up your hand, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ in my life. Right now, lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. I wanna be saved. I wanna know that I'm right with God. Lift up your hand right now. Pastor, I need Christ in my life, all right? Okay, lift it up where I can see it, high enough where I can see it. Okay, all right. Anybody else? Pastor, I need Christ in my life. I want to look to Jesus right now. I want to nail this down right now. Okay, all right, you can put your hand down now. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. And I know I've gone my own way. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe he rose again from the dead. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please make me a new person. Please wash me clean. Lord, today I, I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. 
thank you for loving me. And Father, I thank you so much for your your word that is so relevant, so true, so current. Lord, thank you that we can just look to Jesus and be saved. Lord, thank you that while our religion is not good enough, that Jesus is more than enough. And so, Lord, we look to you. We trust you. We rely on you now. Lord, help us this week to be a mirror that shines the hope of the gospel to those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.